Welcome back to another episode of Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. Today, I am thrilled to be welcoming a fellow media educator to the show today. Spencer O'Daniel is a veteran journalism and media advisor, and he has experience at both the high school as well as the collegiate level. Now, he has built programs from scratch as well as elevated established programs to national award-winning levels through their content and creation. Spencer has experience in basically all fields of storytelling, and he particularly excels in fostering a culture of learning new skills, innovative storytelling techniques, and cultivating award-winning content. Now, I actually had the privilege of pursuing both my undergrad, uh, undergrad and graduate degrees alongside Spencer, and it has been nothing short of incredible to see what he has done in the industry and the passion for our craft that he is now instilling in the younger generations. And so I know I have learned a ton from talking to him and you are all going to learn so much from listening to this episode. I'm so thankful that he was willing to join us today and I can't wait for you to meet him. It is my pleasure to welcome Spencer O'Daniel to the show today. So Spencer is a journalist, a creator, media advisor, master journalism educator, all of the things. So first of all, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's spring break and it was like a perfect time to come on. Yes, absolutely. And spring break for me too. So yeah, I was like, this is the week. This is the week to nab Spencer. Absolutely. So Spencer, we're here to talk about storytelling and the creation process and journalism uh, and specifically how you are teaching and guiding the future storytellers through your job right now at Maze. Um, but first, could you just give us a background to who you are as a journalist and, and now an educator and kind of how all that came to be? Yeah, for me, uh, the, the love for journalism and media and broadcasting and video and kind of all the things I do started in high school broadcasting. So I actually got a chance in my high school broadcasting class to be uh, to do a pregame and postgame and in-game analysis of basketball teams in my town where I'm from, Belle Plaine, Kansas. So in, in my small town, the only sport I didn't play was basketball. I got a chance with my best friend to do that broadcasting stuff during the actual games. And that's kind of where I developed a love of broadcast journalism. And obviously my goal shortly after is to be that big ESPN anchor, right? Like be the person on the sidelines or narrating sports center at six o'clock right and went to college and anita cochran came in my class at actually the elliott school of communications you might have been in the same class actually and <laughs> um she said hey you know if you want to see your family growing up and you don't want to be the person in a snowstorm on friday night at 11 p.m um, you really need to think about if you really want to do this broadcast journalism thing right so also i'm the oldest in my family and I remember coaching my sister's basketball teams and growing up and just even making breakfast for my sisters when I was growing up. I was the oldest and I've always liked working with little kids. And my high school broadcast advisor made a really big impact on me. And so I kind of wanted to keep my love of journalism and media going, but also working with children. And that's how I kind of got the idea of maybe I could just be like a journalism media advisor at the high school level. Switched, best move I ever made. Um, I did switch after about 60 or 70 hours into broadcast journalism. So it, it took me six years to graduate right. with my undergrad from here. But then um, took the core classes at the education school at Wichita State, but I was also involved with everything else still going on at the Elliott School. So I was getting this like perfect dose of becoming a teacher and student media and advertising, marketing, public relations, qualitative, quantitative, like everything to build a well-rounded journalist as well. And so I got my first job at Wichita West High School. <clears throat> West, I forgot you worked at West, yeah. Yeah, so that was that was the only place that gave me an interview um, out of the like the three places I applied. I applied at Chapman High School too, and they all wanted an English teacher, and I really wasn't, <laughs> ab I really wasn't about that. I just wanted to advise student media. Um, and I had a great experience, you know, watching Amy Duvall with the Sunflower and my student teacher, Sharon Martin at Wichita East. She was just amazing. And I, that's those kind of watching those two people and do student media and my high school media advisor. I was like, I want to go all in big school, 5A, 6A, all student media. I didn't get that chance to start at West. So it took me a couple of years to build that full curriculum of student media. I had to teach English. It was it was painful. And you'd have to ask <laughs> some of my um, former alumni how I did at that. <laughs> But eventually I built up the enrollment enough at West 
Um, actually started with three kids that helped make the news mag and yearbook together. So three wow. kids were doing news mag and then two of the three didn't even want to do the yearbook and they had to make a yearbook. <laughs> and so eventually we, you know, we became 140 in year four and year five, we had the biggest enrollment in, in Wichita photo imaging, 21st century journalism, just this like healthy dose of all these classes and built it from three to that. And then we won a state championship in 2017. So you went from three to 140 in how many years? It took about five years, yeah. Wow, I feel like you glossed over that. Like, yeah, you know, that's normal growth. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I mean, crazy. I think it went from like three to nine and then nine to 50 and then 50 and then just, you know, You just hit exponential going. growth at that point. Yeah, we just, we made it a fun place to be. We had like a community and a culture. We did this dodgeball tournament to fundraise money. And we just like took pride in our work. And, and we'll talk about this later, the contest and competitions aspect, but... Um, man, it was amazing. And, and, and to do it all at West it meant even more because so many of our kids, it was like their niche thing at West, you know, they didn't play sports. They didn't sing. They didn't do JRTC. It was like journalism became their thing and they were so passionate about it. And they were, they were just like what I like to call just dogs, like completely committed to the program. And, and then, um, I knew it was like time to, to do something different. Went to Kansas State and advised student media there for the Collegian Media Group. I got to do the Royal Purple Yearbook, Manhattan and Magazine. Got to teach a summer journalism workshop called the Flint Hills Publications Workshop that many in Wichita know about and have taught out as well. Mm -hmm. And got to see like kind of the financial business side of a nonprofit organization at the Collegian Media Group. And, and that was amazing. And then it was time to start our family. So... When we started our family, my wife, Jenna, who's a first grade teacher, she decided, hey, we, let's come back to Wichita where there's our villages to take right, care of the kids. Absolutely. And actually didn't really want to leave Kansas State. I was really enjoying my time there. Moved back to Wichita. And luckily enough, they had created this new position at the Mays Career Academy, where it was like half broadcast, half news magazine at Mays South by combining some positions the mace career academy was just a year old it was this facility connected to mace high where i'm at now right. so everything was like in the process of growing the job opened she went back to her former school and oh, had nice. that had that job like in january before coming back and then my that position opened in february and i was like okay um, obviously i was looking at wichita state nothing was available at the time uh that would have been a really cool thing but I said, you know, if I'm going to go back to high school advising when I'm like pretty good at, this is a great place to be because I yeah. get to do the website and the, the multimedia things that I like, I feel like I'm really good at. And I fell into that position and here I am four years later and it was the right move. Like it's just yeah. been amazing and maze. And, and I guess what's really cool is just going from West to K-State to maze. I feel like I've gotten to see student media and school populations and diversity and like nonprofit to like educational high school atmosphere. I've gotten to see a little bit of everything in those three spots. So yeah, if it's a, it's been 11 years, but, but it's been, it feels like it's been a lot more than that because of my experiences at three different locations. Yeah. There's a lot of diversity there in, in experience and in people that you're working with and in strategies that you would be using. I mean, there's a lot of different things there. Yeah. And I think too, it's interesting. Cause I mean, you, is you built the program at West for sure. And mm -hmm. then even at Mays, I mean, there was a program there, but you absolutely built it way beyond what it was. So it seems like you have a knack for taking something small uh, and, and growing it. What is, what is that like? How do you, I mean, a lot of people are scared, I think, of doing something like that, of changing a program or building it and growing it. How do you approach that? Yeah, for me, um, it's, it's little goals and little wins at a time. I talk about the little wins game, but before you can even get kids to go to the edge of creating great content and building like an award-winning atmosphere in the room, it's about building the culture and the connections in the room and like that line of trust. I know the first day of class, I always talk about respect between me and the students, vice versa, and respect between one another. And we really like implement that every day. Um, we clap for others until it's our turn. That's another quote I say is like when our teammates win and have a great day or something goes well, we celebrate them until it's your turn for you to take that little win. So we're all, we're always taking, talking about that. We, it takes time to build the mindset of it's okay to fail and, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes like being a failure, uh, can, can hurt, you know, temporarily. And then the next day you like pick yourself up 
be a better person, learn from the experience and come in the door and be ready to work again. Um, so those are some things that like to build a program you instill in the first couple of months before you even start talking about, you know, becoming an all Kansas winner, winning state and national awards, photographer of the year, whatever it might be, all the different awards. Um, you got to build that culture, that environment, that home for the students first in the classroom. Yeah. And that's, that's a big deal for me. I mean, I, that's something that regardless of the place I've been in, it's been different at West and K-State and Mays, how I did that because of the different kinds of people I'm working with from, right. from 22 and 23 year olds that were just a few years younger than me to kids that barely saw their parents at night because they were working third shift to you know, the Mays students who have very, very involved parents, sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, overly involved, but <laughs> I, I've, I'll take overly involved over not involved any day, by the way. Right. And, and so you, you have to also like have a bunch of conversations at the beginning. I always talk about SWOT analysis with my staff and programs in the building, talking to the administrator about what they want to see from the program in year one. One of the, one of the most helpful things about setting goals, I went to this conference, IT conference in Kansas City. Hmm. And they talked about um, if you set 10 goals, you're likely only going to achieve two to three of those. If you set five goals, you're still going to only achieve about two or three of those. And then so, hey, hey, just set three goals and try to meet those three goals right. and like don't set too many goals. So like I, I like to set like culture and atmosphere goals, like contest and competition goals and then like growth for the publication or we're gonna participate in volunteer hours or we're gonna create a fundraiser, like that'd be like the third element of the goal. So setting different types of goal for the program really helps too. And talking about, like actively talking about those goals week to week with your staff really helps too. Inventing hashtags for the theme of the semester, or the theme of the school year with this specific staff. Because yeah. every, as you know, as a teacher, once you think you have something down, you get a new group the next year that, that may not understand too well, or they're picking up things much faster. So you, that adapting and being flexible to the environment and the people you're given has been a big key to building those programs too. Right. You know, an interesting connection with you that I feel like I've never made until this exact moment is you're talking about, you know, how you were originally brought to journalism through sports through the lens of sports yeah, and you were an athlete yeah. yourself yeah and i feel like now hearing you talk about your students you have a very sports mentality of yeah. you know hey if you do fail like it's gonna hurt no, no way around that but you got to pick yourself up you got to try again i feel like that's a very sports way of you know yeah. if you lose you got to get back out there you got to let it go don't let it color your next game um do you feel like you see the, uh, some coaching sports stuff in the way that you interact? Abs absolutely. And I think a lot of the books I read, um, such as I read Kobe Bryant's book, David Goggins' book, um, so, some of the other are, are athletes, people uh -huh. that are like super incredibly competitive at the things they do. And they like really break down the process of getting from like here to there, mm -hmm. you know, chapter by chapter, page by page. So I feel like I definitely take a coaching mentality in some, so so much sometimes that I have to check myself, <laughs> right? And remember like to be this mentoring, caring person that's asking like how their weekend went and asking them about like mom and dad, if they liked your video and things like that. So there's there's often points where I'll like take a breath and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've talked way too much about contests and awards this week and pumping that. And I haven't like broken, breaking, you know, broken down the little things of, of how we even got to this was like establishing relationships and building a bond between the students. So sometimes mm -hmm. I even have to check myself on being a coach to, to just remember to be a person first. Right, right. Yeah. So interesting that you did kind of go from high school to college <clears throat> to high school again. What was that like? You've mentioned a little bit kind of the age difference, but what's the difference between advising in a college setting versus a high school? Yeah, making the jump from West to K-State was actually fairly easy because I'm so hands-on in the trenches kind of advisor that they they really hadn't had an advisor quite to the style of me. So they, they really like loved it, you know. That K-State had at, not? at Kansas State. Yeah. yeah oh, they gotcha. have a, Yeah. Okay. So somebody that, um, you know, there are many advisors at the college level that aren't there on deadline nights when they're finishing newspaper and magazines. I would make sure, and it's easier with a magazine, there's only four of those work nights a year, right? right. Compared to a newspaper. But I would, my, my magazine staff or, or yearbook staff, 
I would make sure on big publication nights or deadline nights that I'd stop by, give feedback on a story, talk up to them about a design, bring donuts, and just be like an active person in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was just like a high school style that I developed that actually it was funny because there'd be points where my editors would say like, we, we don't need you as much as like you're giving us because we're like adults now, right? Yeah. And, like, and to step back in a nice way. And that was awesome because it's easier to step back than like step forward in yeah. regards to like how hands-on you are. And then... Um, adjusting to advising college students and how much they did need me and coming back to the high school level at Mays, um, it took actually a lot longer to get back to that style of how much I was needed. And then you throw in the, the COVID aspect right. of like the learning loss and at times like the, like the empathy, the apathy to like do specific assignments and like right. need deadlines has like obviously affected students in a way that there are many times, you know, not many times, I would say there's times where I'd have to, I'd be sitting on my computer or doing another task where I'd catch myself and I'd be like, okay, it's, I, you used to be able to take 12 minutes before you went and saw how w- well your students were doing. And now that 12 is like nine or seven because of their ability sometimes to be off task or not focus on things. And I'd have to check myself in that aspect, even to this day. Mm-hmm. So I think making the jump from call from high school to college, super easy. From college back to high school, with the additional factors and variables that COVID brought, with how our students are learning and like their focus levels, that has been a bigger adjustment for sure. Yeah, I think we're still in in this educational setting, still learning, and will be for many years. Just exactly what impact COVID had. You know, there's definitely the positive impact of all of us are so much more equipped to do things virtually um, yeah. and to have asynchronous content and just the accessibility of, of knowledge is much higher, but there's definitely, like you said, some learning loss, there's some apathy, there's some, and not just with the students, I mean, with ourselves as well in some cases, I think. Uh, so I, I'm glad you brought that up because we we feel that still for students that mm-hmm. have had three years, whether it's, especially at that age, I mean, if it's three years of high school or three years of college, to me now at 35, that doesn't feel like much of my life, but to them, that's a huge part of their life that makes yeah. a very big impact. So I'm sure that adjustment was yeah, much stronger because of that. One thing we talk about too, and, the, and this is, it's easier to teach this and ask the students to do it than yourself sometimes, then you follow your own, you know, take your own medicine. Is, mm-hmm. um, regard, one thing I'd like to say to my students is, you know, if you're having a bad day, I want you to try as hard as possible for me not to really know it when you walk in the door. So we try to leave things at the door, like whether it be a boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you, you got in a fight with your mom or dad this morning before you came to school. I said, you know, we, we're not always able to push through those things and not show it, but I can tell you, you know, you won't really nine out of 10 times, you're not going to know if I had a good morning or bad morning because I carry the same approach into class and I'm going to be like the best version of myself. And I just like try to instill that as much as possible. Right. right. So like if I'm doing it at like a 98% level, if most of the kids in the room can do it at an 85 to 90% level, that's possibly better than the three of the f- three other classes that they have that day that they maybe possibly don't want to be at. Right. So right. like, so I, I, I feel like my students buy into that mentality um, and that is, I mean, and this might come up as, as well later, but the, all the soft skills and additional things that are being built in the room, yes. even if they don't want to become college or professional journalists, right? That's, that's huge. Yes, we will get into that. And in fact, let's just talk about what you do at Mays and like what types yeah. of um, publications and broadcasts and all the things that your students actually produce under your guidance. Yeah. So... In Mays, I would say I'm about 90% broadcasting and video. And then the other 10% of my job is I'm very involved in FusionOnlineMaysNews.com. And then I play a part in the news magazine as well, mostly reading copy um, and reading stories and like checking them over and things like that. And then I'll look over the news mag before it goes to press just for little things. I have a partner. Her name is Jody Johnson. Gotcha. Okay. So she's like, she's like, does the news magazine and the website and is that presence in the program? And we've converged all our media. So we, we are unique in the area that we are called One Maze Media. So all the student journalists of Maze High and Maze South are contributing to this One Maze ideal that started with the former superintendent, Chad Higgins. And we just kind of took the name and ran with it. And first we were One Maze Broadcasting and 
we this is my fourth year of the broadcasting kids have been together the past four years mm -hmm. the news mag and the writers photographers designers they've only been together the last two years oh gotcha okay we merged it all into what we call converged media where 35 to 45 kids per semester depending on the semester are taught by jody and i where we start together twice a week for intro and things to know what's coming up and then we like branch off to our respective places so while we're doing the one May show, they're working on the Fusion News Magazine. And then the students that aren't working on those two major publications are working together in multimedia ways on the website. Um, so that could be like a news package with a video and a photo gallery. It could be a feature package with like graphics and illustrations and pull quotes and like a man on the street style video or a mic'd up session with an athlete. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we feel like that's kind of our specialty, something we're really good at in Kansas. Um, and there's a couple other really good schools too, such as like Mill Valley, Lawrence, Shawnee Mission East. But we found a way, I mean, and you have to have these kids in the same class the same hour to do this, right? Right, absolutely. Slack is just not good enough, Yeah. right? To create like cohesive multimedia packages, like multimedia storytelling. And, and we look at, you know, we look at the schools that are doing it really well at the college level. We look at the New York Times and the other places that are combining the different kinds of storytelling methods into one package with multiple contributors sharing mm -hmm. like special skills that they each have and then like coming together and telling the story in a bunch of different ways within the same link, right, URL. So that's that's one maze media. And then I teach 21st century journalism in an intro broadcasting class. The other thing that gets me super hype that's been like a refreshing part of my career is Seamless Productions. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to ask about that. How is yeah. that different and or related to what you're doing with One Maze Media? Yeah, so that's like our video creative agency that is just me. It's about 15 to 20 kids in our class and, and we're and there's classes similar to this at universities such as Wichita State, K-State, and KU, but like the mini video creative agency approach. So we're creating sports hype videos, PSAs, commercials. We branched out into weddings. So wow. we did about five weddings last year and already have three scheduled for this year. Really? Um, so that, that we can talk about that a little bit more in a minute. That's, that's been the most challenging, but, but, but we compete in horror fest competitions we create we created a public address for the city of Mays. um we've worked with moxie junction heartland credit union pearl obgyn and college hill to make a commercial for them wow. um, and just like all the stuff that is not broadcast storytelling mm -hmm. like video storytelling and making a show and stories all that other video stuff falls under this class in addition to um, tea time, tea time, which is a podcast we do. That's like anonymous student confessions. And what? I was so against it at the beginning. <laughs> I can see how that would scare you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like first amendment rights. And <laughs> then they were anonymous. And next thing we know, it's, um, we just found out a week ago, it's one of the seven podcasts in the whole country to be named in student television network broadcast excellence podcast finalist. Wow. Uh, in its first year, which is crazy. I never would have thought. And like, Credit, kudos to Nathan Wittick out at our out at our place for like bringing this idea to life. Talk about a niche podcast, right? He had just such a specific niche idea and it's like, it's just blossoming. Number one on our website, four months in a row, like for views and like traffic. That's crazy. Kids love it. Even the teachers, it's like the community, the district office, they know about the podcast. They talk about it. It's, yeah, it's really doing well. And then our other one is the spotlight podcast, which has been around it, which is kind of becoming spotlight sports podcast. We're trying to take a more niche approach, but we wanted to put a spotlight on people in the community. And then it became this like very open net we were using for just like bringing in cool people. Nate van from the Wichita state track team just came in. Uh -huh. um, and he, he had such a cool stories from OU and is like a rapper. And we had like a Wichita state track athlete on a Mace podcast. It's awesome. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's anyways, that is like seamless productions and everything we do in, in that class. So the reason that's been so refreshing is because it, it blends like working with clients and the money side and like the financials and making smart business decisions and negotiating. And like the students are learning all these skills, you know, while they're a part of the class making the videos. We bring in clients for meetings. And the first time we bring in a client and it's a student's first client meeting, I'll really lead. And then from there you should watch like, 
their fourth or fifth one as a junior or senior, they just like lead it. And I just like sit back and watch them guided through the form and ask them all these important questions about the vision of their video. And so they're learning half the business side and half the video side in seamless. It's awesome. It's, it's been extremely refreshing for me to have something else besides just the storytelling. Right. Yeah. Well, in the business side is that is a gap. I think it was for me is for me in some cases still um, that, you know, our industry is very freelanceable, very contract, very gig based sorts of things. But if you don't know how to handle the budgeting and the, you know, promotion part and timelines and all of that, which typically a typical creative education doesn't necessarily hit that part. So the fact that you are hitting that at a high school level is really incredible. I'm sure they're learning a lot from that. Yeah. So, you know, we got to become a student of the things we're not that knowledgeable about and bringing the experts when we're not that expert in that area. So, you know, we'd, we'd bring in Drake Kahmeyer, we'd bring in River City Visuals, um, we'd bring in other local maze people we knew, drone experts, people like that. And, and we'd have conversations about the business side of it while they were a guest speaker in our class. Mm-hmm. And also looking at rates online for how much people are charging and studying other people that are professionals. That really filled the gaps in the area like I wasn't familiar with when I built Seamless. The class of Seamless I built in a summer. Wow. And just like crossed my fingers and hoped, really just... I had to convince my administrator that we were going to have enough video requests to warrant building a class because initially they just were, we were just taking side requests while we were making the show and we couldn't keep up. So I tracked everything for like a full year and to make the case for building the class. And it was like, okay, we're doing 15, 20 projects a semester. Okay. Now we're doing 30 projects a semester for all these clients. And yeah, seamless has been amazing. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing as I'm talking to you, I'm hearing, like I said, kind of the sports side of things, sort of the coach mentality. Yeah. But then at the very same token, I can see that you have, it, you sound different when you're talking about the way that you interact with the students versus like the administration and how you're mentioning, you know, yeah, we do a SWOT analysis and we, um, you know, keep, keep track of the data and we do this. Yeah. That when you're trying to sell administration to say, hey, let me try this, they're not going to go with your gut instinct, right? It's like, trust me, it's going to be great. But yeah. it sounds like you really do the work to prove to people smacked my mic. I'm getting so excited about this, (laughs) but you do the work to prove to people, Hey, this is going to work. I've done my homework. I know what's going on. How do you approach that part? Yeah, it's funny. I remember when I was at West, they had this, this, they brought students in an auditorium and they talked about code switching. Have you ever heard of that word called code switching? Yeah. So it's like the way you talk and relate and connect with adults is very different than the way you talk and relate and connect with your students. And then the third side of you is like that person at home that's like mom or dad and has to play those like different roles at home. Interesting. And so for me, man, there's a different Spencer with my friends compared to Mr. O'Daniel. They just call me OD. I love that. OD, Mr. OD, <laughs> all kinds of nicknames through the years. But OD is, OD is stuck, you know. Which so, is so funny because that could have a whole other connotation. Yeah. So our wedding hashtag was like the real ODs instead of the real OGs. And oh, I tell my students really that and they're like so young, they don't even know what the real OG means. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, that is lame and corny OD. OD. <laughs> so code switching is like super important, but I guess like what prepared me the most to have those like tough adult conversations and my boss, Dr. Lindsay King at the Career Academy, she has embraced all these things I've wanted to do. She's like the best boss I've ever had and has just like, let me roll with how I like wanted to do things. And I was like, believe in me, believe in the vision. I track everything I'm systematic and like my approach. And like, I'm thinking about things months, years in advance. Just, just trust me and then convince your people to let us do it. Right. right and right. so a lot of the things I learned at Kansas State through the business and, and meeting new people in the community and watching my boss, Steve Wolgast, He's at KU now. He's the night chair of audience engagement. Watching him relate to people and and do like the business jargon and lingo. A lot of those things at K-State prepared me for all these uh, tough adult conversations on building the program at Mays. And then the student side's always been easy. Like it's yeah. that, that's been the side that has come naturally easy. But man, I've, I've brought some pretty big ideas to the table that other, like I, I try to I've tried to be trailblazing an approach to mm-hmm. what people are asking of us. Like truly, like, I mean, the request and the video things we got, they were 
honestly an annoyance my first year or two because I just was trying to focus on making the one May show. Like we don't have time for this. No. And then finally I was like, you know what? They're not going away. Everyone wants us to make their videos and do things for them because they need like a cheap option and the visual storytelling is so much more important over the last like five to 10 years than it's ever been, right? Yes. All the companies and organizations are putting more money and emphasis into like the video visual storytelling. Well, we were we were seeing it right when I started at Maze. So the annoyance, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna take this from being annoying and like, we're gonna make this into a class where we can make it like a positive and it'll work for us. Mm -hmm. Embrace and, it, embra yeah. We embraced it. And so I guess like the K-State side prepared me for the adult and then the student and then and it's very hard to do this right like you you flip the switch and you become like spencer husband uh dad at home right and, and it's just like code switching and i have to tell my kids about code switching and like their language sometimes in the classroom and like you're you know you're like in division one gamer and how you talk in gaming has to be very different than the presence and the editor-in-chief of the one may show and like for the most part they they embrace that code switching that's fascinating. You know, yeah. you had asked if I'd heard of that term, and I have. However, the only the only um, scenario in which I've heard of it is in terms of specifically the African American community that from using like AAVE at home or with friends, and then yeah. getting into a predominantly white area where they feel like they can't use that or that they'll be thought of differently, um, and having to switch to more of a um, quote unquote white way of speaking sure. is how I've heard of it, sure. but I've never heard of it in this more expansive view. So that's fascinating thinking of it from code switching for all sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, it's like personality switching. I, I wish I could come up with a better like word than personality, but when I think of code switching, I think of just talking. When I think of what I'm, what I was just talking about is like really a personality approach connection changing based on the person in front of you and the people you're talking to. Yeah. Like a <clears throat> communication strategy almost. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's an interesting way to put it. And it's an interesting conversation, I think, which I'm, you know, we don't need to get into right now, but there's sort of one school of thought of be yourself. People will like you or they won't, you know, and, yeah. and I agree with that. And we're not saying switch who you are, but I do definitely think there's a place for optimize for your audience in whatever yeah. that is. You know, we would be silly to say that we talk to our students at school the same way as our toddlers at home, right? So optimizing for your audience while maintaining true to yourself is an art form that can be difficult. And it seems like you've done a really good job of that. Yeah, I try to be like fiery, passionate, energetic when I'm teaching and in front of the room. And man, it's talk about, um, you know, you go home and you flip that switch like I was talking about right. and trying to keep that same energy for your kids and like your spouse and just like doing the laundry and the at-home task, man, that can be really difficult because you're, it's like this just exhale after you get done teaching all day. Yes. And the energy level that like I try to bring and it's this exhale and it's like, oh my gosh, I just wish I could bring like 50% or 60% of the energy to like my family. And like as a teacher educator or even like a doctor or nurse or any environment where you're just emotionally charged all day, mm -hmm. that that is like the toughest task. It's, it's something the, it's like, and it really connects with work-life balance. It's mm -hmm. like something I'm still working on in year 11, turning 35 this year that I, that I don't have down it, but advising student media is so difficult in that aspect because I feel like we're always on. You can, you know, you can talk to Amy Duvall about that, but we feel like we're always on and having to stay connected on what's going on to be really, really good at our jobs. Yeah. And, and so, man, I'm a work in progress on that. Like I'm still learning the work-life balance for sure. Aren't we all? That is, yeah. yeah, that is a struggle. Well, talking about how you have created this environment where mm -hmm. the administration trusts you, the students look to you and are guided and uh, encouraged by you, that has created a culture in which you have you and your students have won lots of awards, have had lots of accolades and attention. Um, how? How does how did that happen, and how did you make sort of competitions and and contests a priority for your team and your students? Yeah, I mean that's that feels like a whole podcast in itself, right? <laughs> and, so, and like each place has been different. So I think at West it was the most challenging because we were literally just trying to build something, some self confidence in students in yes. a, like a low socioeconomic environment that like some of them had zero confidence in themselves, didn't believe in themselves. So it, it, you know it started with with small compliments, and then you, and it's just like really just like to to build it from scratch is like one stinking Lego block at a time, mm -hmm. right? Like it was like one block at a time from small comp 
you know, and, and taking lots of losses along the way and realizing like, hey, we have somewhere to go. And I, I feel like at the beginning of building the contest and competition culture in my program at West, like it was years of losses. Yeah. Like it, until like year three when we started seeing some small things happening. So students don't think about things year to year or like they don't think of your pro- your program as a program because like there's turnover like they're a part of your program and then they move on and then it's just like the next kids up right and even at the college level you know you'll have a great staff writer for a year and then they move on Whereas, yeah that's so different like, yeah you only get to keep them at best four years <laughs> yeah so this is like the coach mentality is like i talk to new advisors and the people uh, advisors i've been a mentor for and i'm like you know you're not going to really see the contest and competi- competition culture build for about three or four years. Cause there's, there's the trust and respect. And we, we talked about like the connections mm-hmm. and the culture of the room that have to be built first before they like just push themselves endlessly to, to win that award or, or like, I'm going to apply for that scholarship. That's like super competitive that I may not win, but I'm just going to give it a shot because like, Oh, Daniel's still going to be proud of me at the end of the day that I tried, Yeah, you know? And Love so, that. Um, even still to this day, we talk about in our program, you know, we're lucky enough that it feels like every week or two we're winning something, you know, and, and we, we, we've in, in a way, even some of this, this is so so weird to think about 17, 18 year olds, because like in May's, they become almost numb to the success at times. Whereas like we, we win something the next day, it's like a new day and it's awesome. And what's next? Like, what am I at next? But that's, but that's such a cool approach to have. And then we remember it's awesome because, and this is, this is the coaching coming back out. It's like, when we do lose, we take a lot more time to talk about that in class. Or like if we get a critique that says we have all these places to work on, well, let's build an approach, taking two or three things, not 10, right? And like, let's build an approach to get better for our next episode. So I think we're, we've, I've always told them like, be more motivated by the losses than fixating on the wins. Because the win, great quote right there. (laughs) The the wins, like people forget about very quickly. Yeah. And and then the losses, like there's some self growth along the journey of getting better from the loss that are like those soft skills, life skills, being you know knocked down and getting yourself back up, like all those things are happening during the loss and getting to that win after the loss. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move into soft skills a little bit. Yeah. um, Because I'm curious about that. I I know in my time. Um, actually, well, for the listeners who don't know, you and I went to undergrad together and then I think our grad school overlapped too. I want to say by a little bit. Um, so I know that from what we learned in undergrad, even the stuff that I'm not directly using, which is most of it, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I think about even the public speaking types of classes that I took Mm -hmm. and how I could not be a teacher right now. Had I not learned those, I didn't intend to teach originally. Um, But if I had not learned how to communicate to a group of people in an effective way without being terrified, I wouldn't be here, literally. So I'm curious, uh, you know, not all of your high school students go on to become journalists. Many do, probably, but not all of them. So what transferable skills are you seeing that your students are learning in your program that could help them, whether they go on to be an engineer or a nurse or anything else? Yeah, I'd say it's as simple as teaching them how to create like a meaningful email with like a subject line that grabs the attention that's not going to go sp- get, you know, spam or deleted yeah. and then build, you know, just the essentials of an email are being taught. You know, I just like don't really remember any classes that talked. It was like you just assume it was like assume that we all knew how to send emails, but these kids don't necessarily know how to do that the right way. Nope, so I've gotten somewhere that is proven. <laughs> right. And so it's as simple as as that. And then obviously it's this like never ending team project, right? Where Mm -hmm. you're working with sources and communicating people with sometimes that bail on you or you show up and you've been waiting a week for them and then they can't come because their kid's sick. So they're learning like all these lessons to life in general that you and I and normal people deal with every single day. And they're getting a, like the sneak peek for a grade before they like go to college. Right. And, And so team building, Um, overcoming obstacles and hurdles, communicating, you know, what do you do when you're working in a team and you have that one person that's not contributing? Like, are you, are you going to sit there and mope? Are you going to like pick up the slack because you still want the final product to be great? Like the expectations for the program anyways. 
And, and so also working with different kinds of people. I can tell you like the designers and writers of our program are very different from the broadcast and video kids. And it's awesome to sit back, Jody and I will sit back and watch them like talk and game plan and strategize packages and storytelling ideas together. And we see some of like the, the growth and the wheel spinning in that conversation are just amazing. Oh, like, I bet. Sitting back and watching. It probably starts out very challenging and frustrated. And then once they hit a flow, can become great, I would guess. Yeah, because you sometimes you'll be needed to jump in just to like get them past that one little like mental hurdle of the storytelling that they can't get through on their sure. own. And then like they just, oh yeah, OD, thank you. And like, okay, you can go back to the classroom. We got it from here. Yeah. And then they like, they take like pick it up and they whiteboard it out and they plan and strategize. I mean, that's part of it too, is like the planning, the strategizing, the, um, we always like to talk about having backup story ideas and like a plan B, a plan C. And just recently we had this baseball story in our show uh, that was like literally plan D and won a national award. And like, wow. those are some amazing moments, right? It's like when everything falls apart and like, you know, you're a week before the show and we don't even know what we're doing, oh, Daniel. And then our editor who I was speaking of earlier, he just like keeps coming up like, and he like passes this story idea along to this group of kids that he wanted for a podcast. Cause he was just trying to be a team player. He's like, you guys can have it. Cause he knew this pitcher that's going to K state who had never had varsity playing time. Wow. And instead of bringing him on the podcast, Lakin passed the idea to some other teammates. Next thing you know, it's like the best video in our show. That's and, incredible. And like those, those, like, that's so cool to see. Like, that's the kind of stuff that makes it worth it right there is like, is Manny could have taken that and it could have been a good podcast. And then like, boom, you just got to pass it on and like national award winner plan D like yeah. everything. So like, those are some super growth moments. Lakin's growing as a person and just being a great teammate. And those guys are pushing through like everything just to create a story for the show. And then it, then that happens. It's like, it's amazing. Yeah. That, that was just something that happened like in the last two weeks. That's so, I need to meet this Lakin kid now too. Yeah. We need to have him on. You should have him on. He's been on a couple of podcasts. Like he's been on a, a few esports podcasts and he, he's a natural, he'd be so good. Like, bring Oh, I'm adding him to the list. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's going to OU for, for broadcasting too. So, okay. you, guys, so you can do the esports talk. You can do the broadcasting talk. So is he a senior this year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll get gotcha. you his contact stuff. Thank you. He's going to love this. Yes. Lakin, <laughs> you're up next, buddy. Yeah. So how do you, this is maybe more a question that I just want the answer to, to be honest with you, um, because it's something I think that I struggle with as an educator and probably is something that anybody who's managing a team at all struggles with. How do you hit the balance? Because you talked about problem solving and how empowering your students to figure things out on their own. How do you hit the balance between providing the right amount of guidance while also not handholding? If that makes sense. And I see you like shaking your head. So I know this, I'm not the only one that this is hard for, which is validating to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I just like really try to break things down and like break my students down into like three levels. I hate to be so narrow minded in this approach, but I think of it as like my intro kids are like a zero or a one on a one to 10 scale of like their knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look on our website right now, there's some stories from contributing reporters where I had to be very hands-on and storytelling approach. You know, they know how to put a story together because we talk about it, but it's like coming up with like really crafty leads and like really writing like concise, short, but interesting transitions. Like that's a skill that can take writers two, three, four years to do at a high level. Right. So I was, you know, I'm like sitting beside them, like really coaching them. Um, I like to almost start sentences, transitions, like I'm going to give you the first four words and this transition is usually going to be about 15 or 20 words. I'm going to give you the first four words and then like you help me finish it. Right. Oh, and that's I like, like that. that's like something I would do with like a beginner and then your intermediate, you know, with intermediate editing, for example, on a sports high video, you know, we talk about, okay, well, there's to take your sports high video to the next level, it's probably gonna include some After Effects ideas or some new graphics or the way you edit in Premiere or even like maybe we should go out and like spend 30 minutes doing the drone stuff today or we should go out with the gimbal and be effective in your movements with the gimbal and capturing classroom footage. Like, so like in my head, I've been doing this all along like that I know the tips and strategies for like the people, like three notches, right? Like the beginner, I know strategies and then like the intermediate kids. And then 
surprisingly the toughest kids are like the advanced award-winning kids that you're trying to push to like the next next level gotcha. like those eights nines and tens and, and ability and um eights nines and tens and like winning contests and their and their strategy and ability to storytell and things like that those are the really tough kids especially the kids that and they're gonna laugh when they hear about this the kids that have been around the program for three or four years that have built up such confidence mm -hmm. Um, you know, such as Lakin or my, my other editors, for example, that are, and all my editors are going for like video film broadcasting and like different fields and stuff. And to try to get them to that next level can be difficult because sometimes they, th their time allotment and their schedule has grown in so many other areas that the sure. person that they were their sophomore year, like that spongy mind that was willing to embrace anything, it's, they don't necessarily have that philosophy in their final semester because they're thinking graduation, they're thinking moving on to college, what am I, what's the big summer vacation with my friends? So they're, they're not the same person that they were when they started in the program and they were just embracing all ideas. They are, they're having to like filter the things they want and the things they don't have time for, like they're just going out the door. Yeah. And so, but what I do is like, you know, I'll sit with those kids and I'll be like, you know, let's watch Christopher Columbus high school out of Miami and like, listen to the way they write their voiceover scripts between their talent. And like, they're so effective, but they're using like awesome language to be even better storytellers. So we'll like really nitpick the like intricate details of the stuff they do. Um, get even more into sequencing. What's an award you haven't won yet. Like that's a, that's a question that I ask some of them is like okay we, we know you've done this this like you're a state champion at KSBA you've won NSBA stuff but like you haven't won this yet so like <laughs> what are we gonna do to get you to win this before your senior year that always gets them motivated too oh I bet yeah. so so right now the thing the thing we're talking about is uh, so many of them have just you know a page long of awards it's like we're trying to win a 6a state championship well what's cool about that is it's a team goal so I get to talk about it in front of the whole class all the time we have a hashtag we are one. And the one stands for something we hold up at the beginning of the room to grab attention. It's as simple as that, but it's also, we are one in like our storytelling approach, one maze media. We're not two different high schools. So the one stands for so many things for us. Also, mm -hmm. sorry. Also it's, I'm getting excited. Right. It stands for like trying to win state and be number one. Yeah. It's, it's as complex as that. And so the one means everything. And, and so for, for many of them, it's the only thing they haven't done yet. And so we're, so this final goal is a goal that affects the whole program and obviously makes the Maze Career Academy look really awesome if we pull it off, right? Right. So we, we, we set individual goals along with our team goals. It sounds to me like you are, you have kind of expertly figured out how to meet every student where they are, which I know is so difficult, but so important. Is that kind of how you approach it? Yeah, I'd say I'm like 80 to 90% there. There's still... Uh, there are simply some students that sometimes are unreachable. Sure. But, and, and those are the ones that like definitely keep you up at night. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it, and you know, if you'd ask them, they would probably think like, hey, oh, Daniel is like so focused on the great product and the award, like that he, he like didn't take the time to like sit with me. I needed more attention and, and maybe that's what you're seeing, but it's not what's actually happening in my brain. Like those, those are the ones that like really keep you up and have you thinking on the weekends and wondering why you didn't take more time with that individual student. So th those like every year you have a couple of those that, man, I wish I had a back and I could have done things differently. Yeah, of course. And <clears throat> I think that's just like being a caring teacher in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So as we kind of close up today, yeah. we've gone through a lot of really fascinating things. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share about um, either Maze or kind of your storytelling history or anything else that you think would be, um, we can't have you leave this room without sharing with us? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is like a little bit corny, but I, I just... I love corny. Let's do it. Yeah. So I think like I've just been, I've had just so many like amazing professional like women to help me along the way i think you're gonna like this like yes. from like <laughs> my high school advisor was just this like super strong like bold woman that her name is shara taylor she's retired now but she like was just so hard on me especially like in her english class like she had me for english as well and she was so hard on me and then like she flipped a switch and was like a different kind of broadcast media advisor in that other class i had with her oh. but she but like she expected so much of me and then i came here and like i had 
you know, Lisa Parcell and Amy Duvall. And then I'd Sharon Martin, a student, teach me. And then obviously it stems back from like my grandma and my mom raising me and stuff. So, man, I, when I think about like the people that have just motivated me to be this like super competitive, like caring, I don't know, whatever you want to call me advisor. It's just been like really strong women along the way. It's like, and then like my wife's just been so supportive over the last few years. So she's like just the cherry on top. Right. So, um, while, while I've had lots of like male teachers and advisors that like I've learned things from, I like strong women. I've really motivated me along the journey. So that's fantastic. And you don't see a ton. I mean, it's, it's changing and it depends which parts of the industry that you're in, but, uh, in tech stuff in general, Mm -hmm. it's still relatively male dominated. So it's very, very cool to hear you say that. That's awesome. Well, I think it's cool because like I was telling you about like the people that get me motivated earlier. I, I mentioned a lot of men, but it feels like at the core like the people that have built Spencer and like who I am have been the women. Yeah. So it's been a nice blend, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Excellent. Well, thank you. I feel like honestly, like, yeah, you'll be a great, you know, podcast interview people like listening to you but personally speaking yeah. i've learned a ton from you just in this you know 40 minutes however that we've yeah. been talking because as a fellow it's educator cool. i can see the things that you're doing and i can see things and go oh that's a great idea yeah. i i love to learn from you and i hope to continue learning from you in the future so, thanks for letting me tell my story thank yeah. you absolutely appreciate you very much yeah thanks i'd like to offer one more Big thank you to the amazing Spencer O'Daniel for joining us on the show today. I don't know about all of you listening, but I am left feeling inspired and motivated to just continue growing and creating. Spencer is such an asset to not only Maze, but everywhere that he has worked throughout his career. And I just know that even bigger things are in store for him down the road. Thanks again for listening today. This was episode 15 of the Create Space podcast, so we are just moving right along. It's been a really incredible ride. Uh, We actually passed the 1,000 download milestone just a few weeks ago, which was so exciting, and I have honestly just been loving every single minute of it. So for for right now, I've got guests and episode uh, topics booked out until about the end of May, but I wanted to ask you all if there are any specific topics or guests uh, that you might be interested in hearing about in future episodes of Create Space. So if you have any specific ideas, um, please reach out, shoot me an email, at me on Instagram, send me a DM, send me a voice memo, um, whatever. I would love to hear about all of the amazing creativity that's going on in your world. So I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will catch you back here same time, same place next week on Create Space. Mm-hmm.